know, summer is made for shenanigans, right? That's just what it is. And uh, when I was, uh, every time when I was in school, my biggest thing, well, summer we always look forward to, but then uh, we always spent our summers at grandma's house. So I don't know where you guys, how you guys spend your summers. I know for me, me and my brother, we had two grandmas that literally lived a couple blocks away. So we just bounced from house to house. It's amazing. It's amazing. Just, I mean, and they're Hispanic moms, and man, they cook so much. And so uh, all of the walking helped to burn all the calories that we were eating because that was a lot of food. But listen, we always would spend time at grandma's house and trying to do some fun, you know, trying to spend the time and trying to make most of the moment that we had. And this was back in the 80s and 90s. And so, you know, technology was, it was good. You know, but our video games were at home, and so we had to kind of come up with games to play. And uh, one sh- summer shenanigans that me and my brother would always do is we would play hide and go seek. Right, it's a classic game. Who's ever played hide and go seek? Right? Who's who's good at hide and go seek? Anybody admit? I was like, yo, I'm good at hide and go seek. But listen, with when it came to my grandma's house, I was good at playing hide and go seek. My grandma never found me. But here's the thing. We always played hide and go seek, and we never told my grandma we were playing. <laughs> she only found out we were playing when she couldn't hear us, right? And if, you, if look, if you're a parent, if you've ever had to babysit anybody, you know that the last thing you want to hear when you are watching kids is, not the sneeze, good timing though, wow, okay, right? That when you're watching kids, when you're watching kids, the last thing you want to hear is, right? Moms, dads, anybody, that just puts the, I mean, the back, the hairs on the back of your neck, Fung up, your spidey senses aren't tingling. Because when you are watching kids and you don't hear kids, you know something's going down, right? And you better hurry up because something's going to explode. The house is going to burn down. You're going to have to call 911. Emergency. Find these kids. Well, we never told my grandma we were, that we were playing hide-and-go-seek until she couldn't find us, until she couldn't hear us. And then she would go panicking. I was like, oh, yeah, here we go. And so, look, I was good. I, she never found me. But I regret to say to you today, my hiding place. It's a little embarrassing. You're going to judge me, and I'm okay with that because I can't blame you. My hide-and-go hide spot, my every time, was a dirty clothes hamper. <laughs> I know. I know you're ju- – I feel the judgment. I feel – I feel it, right? I feel it. I know. It was a dirty clothes hamper. I always hid there. She never found me, and it was, it was all good. But anyways, uh, the reason why, guys, I, I bring that game up is because, you know, as kids, you know, we play games, as, and the, the more we grow up as adults, there's games that we still tend to play. And I think hide-and-go-seek is a game that a lot of adults play. In fact, it's uh, the way we play middle schools, high schools, you do the same thing, right? There's areas of you, things that you want to hide, right, because you don't want people to see the real you because you're afraid of what people will think if they know the real you. So you try to hide that you behind a persona, beside something else, right? It's a little different. And you know what? We play this game as kids. Uh, not as kids. We play this game with God, too, if you think about it. A lot of us, I know I've done it, and if you think about it, you have done it, and maybe probably you're doing it now where you think that you can hide from God, that you think you can hide certain things and certain insecurities and certain whatevers, and you think you can hide from God and you think you're good because maybe you haven't been whatever, right? God hasn't addressed that. But listen, you're hiding. If we hide behind our sin, you're hiding in a dirty clothes hamper. And God's not like grandma. God can see. He knows. And he'll let you sit. And it was like, all right. Tell me when you're ready to come out of the dirty clothes hamper, 
and then we can talk. Because here's the thing, guys. We think we can do this, but we can't with God. Though you cannot hide behind your pride. You can't. When it comes to God, you cannot hide behind your pride. Pride, listen, God sees right through it. And also, it's the one thing that keeps you, probably, one of the most important things that keeps you from him. And so today, as we look and we talk about pride, we're going to look at this because, again, it's one of the things that can keep us from God. And that's not what he wants. That's not why Jesus came. That's not, you know, why. We ought to and ought to accept Jesus. There's more to it than that. And so, the, obviously, if you want to combat pride, then what is the opposite of pride? Right? Humility. Right? The opposite of pride is humility. And to me, one of the best ways and one of the best ways to be humble and to learn from humility is to learn from history. History is very humbling if you think about it. Right? Because for you to learn from history is already saying, hey, I am capable of making a mistake. I am capable of falling. I want to learn from what others have done so that I don't repeat it myself. Now, I have one other question because we talked about if you've ever played hide-and-go-seek. Who here has an older sibling? Right? An older sibling. You have older siblings, elder brother, sister. Right? Listen, have you ever, it's always been said and studies have been shown that those with, those are younger, those who have older siblings, or maybe you have close relatives, like a cousin that's always around, depending on how tight your family is, right? And for those of you who have older siblings, the younger ones tend to mature a little faster. Why? Because they're learning from big brother. They're learning from big sister. They're seeing the mistakes that older brother, older sister are making, and they're like, ooh, when she said that, mom didn't like it. Mom responded. I was like, I'm not going to say that. I'm going to come up, you know, game plan this a little differently, right? I was like, ooh, when he did that, they got grounded for life. So I need to re-strategize what I need to do. And so for those of us, that, that's being humble. That's being humble, realizing, yo, I got to look out. I got to be careful. And when you learn from other people's experience, right, there it is. That's, that, that you can, that's a little bit of combating pride because pride says, I got this, right? Pride says, no, nah, I can do it. I can do the same thing and maybe get different results, right? I know what I'm doing. I'm good. That's pride. Humility is the opposite. Humility is a heart condition that says, look, I need to learn. I need to grow. I need to just in case. And so what we're going to look at today, we've been looking at the series called Binge Reading the Bible. All right, Binge Reading the Bible is what we are, you know, for a lot of us, and there's a lot of people here, they'll admit, I have, there's things I believe about the Bible, but there's things that I don't understand about the Bible. And a lot of times we don't understand certain things about the Bible because a lot of Christians admit they haven't read the whole Bible. And so there's something might be confusing if you've read this, but you haven't read this other thing, that this other part shines a light into that one thing that you're not sure of. And so, but I understand that when we, you know, here's an ancient document that there's things that you can read and there's books and sections that are a little harder, more difficult to process. And so the goal of this series is to help you, is to help you understand and learn how to approach the Bible so that we can learn from our big brother. Okay, and our big brother in the faith is the Jewish people. That's why the Old Testament is so important. Sometimes everybody sleeps on the Old Testament and kind of skips over that, kind of jump to Jesus, which is good. But listen, the Old Testament is really a story of God working in a people. And these people, for us as believers now, these Jewish people are our old brother and sister. The, everything in the Old Testament is an example for us, for us to learn and us to grow and process. So we, uh, what have we been doing, and this week is a uh, week two, 
of this specific uh, attempt what I'm doing. Because not only is the Bible, guys, organized in two categories, old and new, but some of you might not know that the books of the Bible are organized in categories. Right? And so there's one category that we talked about. The first five books of the Bible is called the books of the law. And so that's an important one. We did that a couple weeks ago. Today we're going to talk about the second section. All right? Say, I want you to say this word for me. Say history. history. The second section is about the history of Israel. And it goes, it picks up from the fifth book, Deuteronomies, right after it goes to the book of Joshua. And it goes all the way to Esther. It's a lot of books and all of that from Joshua to Esther covers a thousand years of Jewish history. A thousand years of Jewish history. And that history is meant to be an example for us. To learn about the good and to learn about their mistakes so that we can avoid and figure out not to repeat the same mistakes. And see, the whole theme of any book, if you read any book in between Joshua and Esther, I want you to know that, again, this is a historical narrative. It's any book tells one story of one overarching story. And the theme of this thousand years, the theme of all of these books, the theme of this section, shows us a people who are stuck in a destructive cycle. Guys, I, I know you know people who've done that. Have you ever, you know people who are stuck in either maybe a mental cycle. Like it's a way of thinking that they just can't seem to break. And that way of thinking is not helping. You guys know people like that? Right? Either it could be negative or this or that or anxiety, whatever it is. How many people do you know that are ever stuck in a habitual cycle? They have actions, attitudes, right? There's, there's certain things that they do that if you, you see it, it's destructive, it's not helping, it's reactions and actions. And, and they're trying to, and some of them want to, break free from this, we call it addictions for some of them. They're addicted to doing this, they're addicted to that. And it's destructive cycle that's hurting, right? How many of us, doesn't that hurt us to see people like that, just stuck? And you wish you can help them, you wish you can do, but you can't even shake them hard enough, right? You just don't know what else is left. Well, listen, the whole story, the history of Israel talks about this destructive cycle that they're in. From, Je from Joshua all the way to Esther. And this destructive cycle is a cycle of pride. Pride. Pride is a destructive cycle. But then we also see the story of God on how he interacts and he reaches out to help free his people. And so that's what we're going to look at today. We're going to look at one specific section to kind of give you a general theme. So if you find any story in that historical books, you can kind of learn how to process this is what is happening throughout that whole moment. And listen, if we're willing to pay attention, if we're willing to pay attention here, we will be able to learn from Israel's experience, from our big brother in the faith. And that's going to increase our chances that's going to increase our chances that the wrong parts of their history are not repeated and the right ones are. And so if, if I can sum up uh, the whole thousand years, listen, I'm just going to give you the cliff note versions. You ready? Here's what, if you read Joshua through Esther, here's what the story looks like. This is what the story looks like. When you start in Joshua and when you end in Esther, this is what you see. That's what it is. It's a destructive cycle that the more it goes, the more you read, the more you see of, as every year passes, it's, it's a death spiral. They are spiraling slowly out of control. And it goes from Joshua when they enter the promised land and at the end of the thousand years, close to the thousand years, they have not been removed from that land as slaves because of pride. Later restored, but it wasn't the same. Waiting, 
They've been waiting. The end of this historical narrative is them waiting for God to break them free from this cycle. In fact, I'm going to just kind of spin this a different way. And I'm going to kind of look at it this way. Here's what the cycle looks like. Right? Currently, right now, we are going into a new cycle. What is that cycle called? Summer. Right? Summer is a new cycle. Winter, all of those things, springs, those are cycles. Seasons go in a cycle. And what happens? You got summer. Hot, beautiful, great, everything is blooming. The fall, right, is nice. I love the fall. Anybody whose favorite is the fall, right? My favorite is the fall. Fall is nice because you still get elements of the summer, yet it's not as extreme, right? Then you cool colors. It's a little cooler, but not too much. It's like this happy medium. It's pretty cool. But the fall, you start to realize that things are changing. Then you got the winter. Which for us in Florida, it's like three days, right? Whatever. So we got three days all sporadic. If you maybe add all of the multiple mornings that it's like you wake up and it's like 50, but then like by the afternoon, it's like 85. If you add up just the mornings of when it breaks 60, maybe we have summer for like two weeks if you add it all up together combined. But, but the winter is harsh and it's cold. The winter is death. The winter is death, right? And so there's things that, you know, the nature and all this stuff is dying. But then spring comes along, and spring is this renewal. Thing, the, the earth and nature starting to wake up back into summer. This is what the cycle looks like, okay? Well, do you guys know that we go through that cycle in life? This is what, if you look at the nation of Israel, the whole thousand years in these historical books, you can find, ask yourself, wait, are they experiencing summer, fall, winter, or spring? Because throughout the thousand years, you see that here's what happens. Is they've got, you know, God has given them victory. Something amazing is happening. Things are going great. Things couldn't be better. Like, like we were singing, nothing better. Right? And so and things couldn't be better than it is right now. It's awesome. It's amazing. And then in the summer, they begin to compromise their faith. They begin to compromise their relation with God. They get lazy. They get complacent. And then you start to notice they find themselves in the fall where it's still good. It's comfortable. But they've begun to compromise and slide. And then, boom, they find themselves, right, winter is coming, right? They find themselves in winter, right? And here in winter, the difficulty, now they realize, uh-oh, okay, we ran from God. We did this. We did that. Now they feel the coldness of the separation from God. This winter could, and is expressed in many different ways, either famine or oppression, struggle. And in the winter, they turn to God and say, Lord, forgive us. We're sorry. Help us. Save us. And then you would see in the historical narrative, God would send a deliverer. He would send a temporary savior, something to help fix the problem. You would see them coming out of the winter, out of their place of struggle, and they would begin to return to God, and then boom, back to summer, victory. But then they would do it again, and then again, and then again. Oh, God's awesome. I was like, all right, God, I got this from here. We're good. I, 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 I got the, thank you, God. I'll handle it from here. Fall, winter, spring. Oh, Jesus, help us. God, help us. Okay, back to summer. All right, thanks. We're good from here. Fall, winter, help, spring. Okay, God, we're good from here. It's a repeat. It's like Groundhog Day. Over and over and over and around. That was for your 80s people. All right, there you go. So over and over and over again. Over and over and over again. It's a repeated cycle. Repeated cycle. They were stuck. And the reason why, again, notice what I said. It was pride. When things were good, they were like, all right, God, we're good. We, thank you. We got it from here. How many of us do that? That the only time we ever talk to God is when we're in the winter season. Bad things. How many times we think of God in the good, when things are good? No, I mean, like, all right, God, we got you. You know, it's a habit that we have to learn. And so here we see this habitual cycle, this round and round, this round and round and round, 
is what caused them to lose control. And they could not break free from that. In fact, I want you to look at this one verse. This is actually one of the most popular Old Testament verses. It's found in the historical books for a lot of Christians today. It's 2 Chronicles 7.14. I'm going to say this, and a lot of you probably have heard it. Some of you probably have memorized it. Let's look at 2 Chronicles 7.14, and it says this. If my people who are called by my name will, what do they do? Humble themselves. And pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways. Then I will hear from heaven and I will forgive their sins and I will heal their land. I want you to look at that verse for a second. Now, I want you to know where this verse is coming from. This is God talking. And this is God responding to King Solomon. They are right now in a season of summer. If you look at 2 Chronicles, which is one of the books, it's actually two, that it chronicles literally the story of all the, the history of the kings of Israel. And in 2 Chronicles 7.14, they are in summer. Things are great. They just built the temple of God. And listen, the temple was something that was on King David's heart, which was Solomon's dad. And this temple, let me tell you, archaeologists and historians will say that it is one of the ancient wonders of the world. One of the ancient wonders of the world. There was no religious temple, no religious building that can compare to what this building was. I mean, the estimated worth today of this building would have been, it would blow your mind. It would just be insane. You couldn't process what this building was. And they built it, and see, in chapter 6 of this book, chapter 6, King Solomon is dedicating the temple. And he's praying to the Lord, Lord, we are here. This is an example, a testimony to the world of how great you are, that the world may know, that the world may come here, and they may see what you are doing in the nation of Israel. Because they knew, and King Solomon knew, this is what we talked about in the, histo in the, the books of the law, that God was doing something in this one nation, Israel, that was meant to bless the nations. And this building was meant to be another physical representation, a centerpiece for people to, from all around the world to come and see what is God doing in them and that he may do it through them in the rest of the world. And so in chapter 6, King Solomon prays these prayers and says all of these things. So when you read chapter 6, then you read chapter 7, everything that God spoke is an answer to the prayer of King Solomon. But here's the thing, a lot of times we Christians and we read it today and we only read that one chapter and we, that verse and we stop, right? Because it's, it's so good. God is saying, hey, if you humble yourself, if you realize your need for me, if my people, we use this for America all the time, right? This verse is always quoted. May God, may us as Americans, may we humble ourselves, may you heal our land. That's all good. But I, I want to challenge you to keep reading because it gets pretty ugly after that. It gets a little serious. I don't have it up there, but listen, when God keeps on talking, it says, if my people who are called, but if you ever know there, if, if you ever see an if, you know there's a but after that, right? And I'm like, look, if you do, good, but if you don't, there's a big but at the end of this. And I'm not going to show it to you, but listen, you know what happens? You can read it in the continue. I'm just going to give you a quick summary because God then goes off. God goes off on them. And he pretty much says, listen, if you guys keep humble, you stay with me. Things are going to be great. I'm going to bless you. But if at any moment you think you can handle it, if at any moment you think you think you got to control over this, if at any moment you think you don't need me, then I will let you. I will just let you, get, let you be. But understand that it's not going to work. It's almost like anything else, guys. It's like, hey, you can have your phone plugged in, right? You can have your phone plugged in, and it's life. It's working. The second you unplug your phone, it begins to die. The second you have your phone unplugged, it begins to die. 
because it's not connected to the source. And so here he's saying in Chronicles this morning, he's saying, listen, as long as you stay connected to me, the source, you're going to be good. But the second you disconnect from me, something's going to happen. Again, there's the fall, winter. And God says, and there will be a time. I will even let you, this beautiful building that you're dedicating to me. Look, I appreciate it. Thank you. You know what? I didn't, he didn't even ask for it. To a certain extent. But he said, this beautiful building, guess what? I will let it go to garbage. If you think you can handle things on your own, all right, I'll let you. Go ahead. But you know what? I will even let this place and this beautiful building just be ruined. And then he says, why? He's like, listen, people will walk by. And they will see the rubbish and the heap of what this used to be. And they will say, why did God allow this to happen? And God is responding back, answering the rhetorical question. He says, oh, they will say it's because these people abandoned their God. The God that got them out of Egypt. Yeah, these guys were, I can't believe it. They abandoned and they thought they didn't need him anymore. It was a fault of their pride. Now, if you go to Israel today, are you going to see this building? The reason why you won't see this building is because the nation of Israel was not able to maintain that promise in 2 Chronicles 7.14. It's no longer there because of pride. In fact, when they were able to rebuild the building once again after it was destroyed, everyone who remembered what it used to be, the, the historical narrative says everyone cried. Not because they were happy. They were sad because it wasn't anything compared to what it used to be. It was a different time. And so in this moment, guys, in this moment is a promise that God is saying, if you hang with me, things are going to be great. But if you don't, be careful. Now, I want you guys to know that that promise is beautiful. It's great. But you guys know that us as Christians, we have a better promise than 2 Chronicles 7.14. Because this is a promise of if you, then I, which we talked about in the law. If you, you know, here, blessings were tied to obedience. This is a different now in Jesus. Because Jesus promises to never leave us or forsake us. No matter what, how even if we struggle with our faithfulness, those who have committed in our sons and daughters of God remain sons and daughters of God. And so it's a little different, but the principle stays the same. The importance of humbling and of humility and experiencing true healing. And I want to connect this verse because I believe that this verse in Chronicles in the Old Testament historical narrative, we see it reflected in something in the new. And we see it in this guy named James. And in the book of James, we're going to look at chapter, 14, chapter 4. James is interesting that James is talking about pride here. Because you got to know a little bit about James to kind of understand. It speaks a little bit more, have a little more weight to when it comes, when he speaks of humility and pride. And here's what James is talking about. See, in this whole letter, James, he's, he's a pastor of the Jerusalem church. Jesus is resurrected and the things have been popping. Things are going great. And James is writing to Christians, encouraging them to remain humble encouraging them, saying, listen, do you know why God is not answering your prayers? It's not because God is hard of hearing. He, it's just because you have a hard heart. And he's talking about them and saying, look, your frustrations, the fighting, all the negativity that you're experiencing is due to your pride. And I think it's hilarious because James is Jesus's little brother. Again, I, I, we said a minute ago, I was like, could you imagine, right? A lot of us have learned from having an older brother, older sister, what to do, what not to do. Could you imagine having Jesus as your older brother and learning from him? I mean, would you, first off, would you like that? Would you like having Jesus as your older brother to learn from? 
I'm going to be honest. I'm probably going to say no. All right? I'm going to say no on that one. Because first off, imagine the, the sibling rivalry, right? I mean, here's Jesus. We don't know of his childhood. We don't know if he ever was his throughout school. Did he have 100% average, all-knowing God, right? Did he get every test correct? And here's James, who knows with a 98.7, he can't beat his. I mean, you're competing with Jesus. You know, here's Jesus walking on water, and James can barely swim. Who knows, right? And so it's like, my gosh. You know, look at the competition. I mean, it's, it's not, it's no fair. It's no fair. Here you got Jesus, right? He's, he's multiplying the bread and the fish. And here's James on the other side. Just, you know, I can't do that, right? I got to catch my fish. I just can't pop them up and do that. I can't do that. Imagine the stress, the competition James, right, had. I don't know how athletic Jesus was. But you know what I'm saying? I was like, here's James, right? He, he can't D up Jesus. Could you imagine? Right? Oh, my gosh. You get crossed up by Jesus. Or I was like, you, you can't. He's God. I don't know. I don't know how that was. We, we don't have the details. This is just my imagination. But, but again, imagine the competition. And here's James. And we know this about James. And all of Jesus' other um, brothers and sisters, which he had. Not through, you, through Joseph and Mary. Jesus was different. But listen, we know this, that James and we, the gospel writers say this. James and all of his brothers and sisters thought Jesus was crazy. Jesus' family weren't fans of Jesus. As Jesus is walking around and speaking and talking, the crowds are gathering. I mean, he's, I mean, thousands of people who's not on board is his brothers, his sister. They thought he was nuts. They were constantly saying, Jesus. I mean, you would imagine you'll be happy for your brother. And be like, brother, I don't know what he's doing. This is, this is, this guy right here. I don't know. They were nervous. They didn't believe him. And we know that they didn't come to faith in Jesus until.